Let's hear the word of the Lord, the writings of Daniel uh, from uh, chapter 9, verses 1 to 23. Daniel's prayer for his people. In the first year of Darius, the son of Hazarius, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against you and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which is set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us Yet we have not entreated the favour of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready, the calamity has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned and we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore... O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. 
And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of your righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Amen. Thanks, Graham. Let's ask God for his help as we look at this part of his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Please help us to understand it as we look at it together now. Please use it, work in our hearts to grow us in faith in Jesus and grow us to be more like him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say uh, confession can be a huge relief. Uh, for schoolies, a few mates and I went camping on the property of a family friend near Noosa. It was very kind of him to let us uh, camp in his paddock, swim in his pool and use the bathroom in his shed. But in the shed was this big full-length mirror. We were messing about, you know, being teenage boys, and we knocked the mirror over, smashing it. All this man's kindness and we just broke his stuff. I felt horrified. Guilty, burdened, what could we do? How could we make this right? And eventually I realised we just needed to be honest. We went and told him, and he wasn't worried, he forgave us. I remember this palpable sense of relief. You've probably experienced this too, I would guess. Feeling the weight and burden of the wrong that you've done, the added shame of keeping it secret, and then confessing it trying to turn away from it. And the relief is huge, especially when we confess to someone we know will forgive. David talks about this in Psalm 32. When he kept silent, his bones wasted away. He groaned all night long. He felt God's hand heavy upon him and sapping his strength. He knew the feeling of unconfessed sin and he knew the relief of confession and forgiveness. Because he wasn't just confessing to anyone, he was confessing to his merciful Saviour. Over this term, we are growing in prayer together as a church family. And we've seen that prayer, it is simply talking to our Heavenly Father. It's faith out loud. It's our belief in God and our trust in Him as our loving Father, put into action and given words. And there are lots of different ways that we can talk to God. 
We can cry out to him in our distress. We can grumble to him. We can praise him for who he is. We can give thanks to him. We can ask him for things. God gives us examples of all of these kinds of prayer in the Bible to remind us that prayer is more than just coming to God with a shopping list. Prayer is coming to our Heavenly Father about anything and everything. One of the tools that we can use to help us pray like this is the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. This isn't the only way to pray. It's not meant to be a straitjacket for our prayers, but it is a helpful reminder of all that we can and should talk to God about. So we're going to be working through it over the next couple of weeks. Graham started us off with adoration last week. Our prayer can and should include adoration, praising God in worship and love for his greatness, goodness and faithfulness. And this week we're going to see that prayer can and should also include confessing our sins to God. That's what we'll see this morning. This beautiful, honest prayer of confession from Daniel that we just read shows us that because our God is merciful and faithful, we should confess our sins to him freely and confidently. And when we do, we'll find that not only is our God forgiving, but our confession is freeing as we enjoy the freedom and confidence that comes from God's mercy. So let's dive into it. First thing we see here is that we should confess honestly because our God is righteous. The year, to set the scene, it is 539 BC. Daniel, an Israelite, is living far away from God's promised land in Babylon. He's probably about 80 years old at this point. When he was just a child, the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem, captured the key leaders and promising young people and carted them off to be raised and live in Babylon. And so David, Daniel has lived his whole life away from God's land. He's lived his whole life under God's judgment of his people. You see, it was no accident that the Babylonians captured Jerusalem. God let them in judgment against his people for their sin. They were carted off in exile because they refused to obey God as they promised to do. But amidst all of this, Daniel had lived well. He's lived faithfully as one of God's people under really intense pressure. He's interpreted dreams and visions, been thrown into lion's den, lived under the threat of death. And through all of this, he has stayed faithful to God. And so now, at age 80, Daniel is stirred up to pray by God's word. Look in verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Assyrius, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem. Namely, 70 years. See, God didn't didn't leave the people of Israel without answers. He sent his prophets to warn them and to comfort them. And Jeremiah was one of those prophets. Not only did he warn God's people, but he gave them hope. God's judgment will not be forever. It would be for 70 years. You can see what Daniel was probably reading in Jeremiah chapter 29 in verse 10. 
For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now, it's been nearly 70 years since Daniel was carted off to exile. God told them through Jeremiah to call on him, to pray to him, and he will hear them. And so that's exactly what Daniel does. God's promises prompt him to pray. But this isn't a proud, self-serving prayer. Daniel comes to God in confession. Verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Just notice a few things about the way Daniel confesses here. First, true confession starts with grief. Daniel fasts, he puts on sackcloth and ashes. These were the outward signs and actions of grief. Daniel's devastated by Israel's sin. He's grieved by it. He really means it. And he shows it in his outward display. Do we respond to our sin like this? Our sin is a terrible thing. It separates us from God. It hurts others. It deserves and leads to death. This is more than just Daniel being upset about the consequences of sin. He's grieved because sin itself is a terrible thing. We can't lose sight of this. The sin of Israel led God to exile his own people, to reverse the great rescue of the Exodus. Our sin is serious enough that God's own son, Jesus, died a horrific and terrible death to pay for it. Your sin is a terrible thing. Something to be grieved by. So is mine. If we're not grieved, we need to ask that God would convict us and show us how terrible our sin really is. See, true confession starts with grief. But second, true confession is honest. It doesn't sugarcoat things, it shoots straight. It says it right like it is. That's what Daniel does here. This isn't mistakes were made or we messed up a little. Daniel lays it all out. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. We rebelled against you, our God and King. We have turned away from your commands. You see, sin goes much deeper than just doing the wrong thing. Sin is open rebellion against God as our rightful ruler. It's thumbing our nose at the one who created the world, gave us life and provides all that we need. They've rebelled against the God who graciously rescued them out of Egypt. 
Daniel keeps going in the next few verses. Verse 6. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. See, sin is also refusing to listen to God. It's not just the bad things we do, it's also the things that we fail to do. It's the commands that we ignore, the little things that God says that we think we can skip. For Israel, God sent them prophets time and time again and they ignored them, mistreated them and tried to kill them. Daniel keeps going in verse 7. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. God is righteous, but his people deserve only shame. They've committed treachery against him. They've betrayed him, been unfaithful to him when he was faithful to them, spurned his grace and love. They've ignored his laws. Verse 9, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants and prophets. See what Daniel's doing? He's just laying it out there in all its ugliness and shame. They have rebelled against God. They've ignored God. They've betrayed God. True confession doesn't try and cover up what we've done. It doesn't spin it before God to get a better hearing. God already knows. He knows the depths of the sin in your own heart. He knows your darkest thoughts. There is no point hiding these things from him. So when you confess, just lay it out there. Call it what it is. Be honest with God. And third, true confession accepts the consequences. Verse 13. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favour of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that we have done, that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice see the exile didn't come out of the blue God warned the people that this would happen when they were about to enter the land Moses reminded them of the great blessings they would enjoy if they obeyed God and the great curses they would face if they didn't including being sent away in exile we looked at that earlier this year and the people agreed to this but they didn't keep their promise they had disobeyed God and so God was faithful to his word God confirmed his word. He brought the punishment against them just like he said, just like they deserved. And Daniel admits it. The Lord was righteous to do this. This is the punishment they deserve for their sin. And not only for their sin, but for their failure to confess and repent. After all this, God's people didn't learn. They didn't call on God like Jeremiah said. They kept on rebelling and turning away. They deserved their punishment. See, true confession, it owns up to sin and it accepts the consequences. We'll see in a moment that we can do that confident in God's forgiveness, but that doesn't mean our sin doesn't still have consequences. 
It might be the destruction and hurt that we reap in our own lives or in our relationships. It might be legal consequences. Our sin still has consequences. And true confession will face that. That's what Daniel does. He's grieved by their sin. He honestly confesses and he accepts the consequences. But Daniel's prayer doesn't end there. See, not only do we confess honestly, we can seek forgiveness freely because our God is merciful. See, now Daniel calls on God to forgive and keep his promises. But he doesn't ask God to do that because the people of Israel are so great. He calls on God to do it because of God's glory and because of God's mercy. Verse 15. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. See, God's reputation is on the line. When he rescued them from Egypt, he made a name for himself as the people-rescuing, enemy-defeating, promise-keeping God of Israel. And yet Jerusalem is in ruins. Israel is a cautionary tale. It looks like Babylon and her gods are greater than the living God of Israel. To the wider world, it looks like God has abandoned his people and given up on his promises. So, God call, so Daniel calls on God to act for the sake of his name. Verse 17. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Daniel's not manipulating God here. God has chosen to stake his name and reputation on his people. He's made them great promises. Daniel's prayer is right. And we can call on God in the same way. God has made us great promises in Jesus. He's promised that all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus in faith will be saved. That he is faithful to forgive us our sins. That he who began a good work in us will carry it through to completion. He's staked his reputation on his faithfulness to his promises. So we can ask too for forgiveness with confidence. Father, you have made these promises to forgive and to save. Keep them for the sake of your name. But that's not all. Daniel also calls on God to forgive because of his mercy. Verse 18. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. This is the heart of true confession. Daniel calls on God to forgive and to save, not because Israel is so good. They aren't. They've got absolutely nothing to offer. Daniel calls on God to forgive and to save because of his character. 
God's character was actually littered through this whole prayer. Look back over it if you've got your Bible open. Verse 4, the Lord is great and awesome. He keeps his covenant. He's a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. Verse 7, righteousness belongs to God. Verse 9, mercy and forgiveness belong to God. Verse 14, God is righteous in all his works. Verse 15, God rescued his people from Egypt. And now verse 18, he is a God of great mercy. All Daniel has to plead on God for, for forgiveness, is God's promises and God's character, his mercy. But that's all he needs. Because our God is a great and merciful God. And this is true for us. We don't come to God expecting anything because we're so good. We don't plead his favour because of our good deeds, our church attendance, the fact that we're actually pretty nice people if we do say so ourselves. None of that counts. We have all sinned against God. We're all rebels. We've all done things we shouldn't have done, failed to do things we should have. We deserve God's judgment. Our only hope is God's mercy. But that's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. In his great mercy, even when we were his enemies, God sent his own son to die for our sins, to take the punishment that we rightfully deserve so that all who trust in Jesus can receive mercy and be his people. Not because of our righteousness, but because of his great mercy. So like Daniel, we can honestly confess our sin. We can seek his forgiveness freely because in Jesus, he has shown us great mercy and we can come to him confidently. Because of all this, as we confess, we can rest in his mercy because our God is loving. In his mercy, God shows Daniel the answer to his prayer. God doesn't delay. He's already acting even when Daniel starts to pray. Verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, presenting my my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of Israel, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision of the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, for mercy, a word went out, and I've come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Gabriel, one of God's great messenger angels, come to Dan- comes to Daniel to encourage him about his prayer. But notice the timing in this verse. At the very beginning of Daniel's pleas for mercy, a word went out and Gabriel was sent to Daniel. God's not stingy, holding back from his people. He's not a miser. He is there, ready and eager to answer. He doesn't even wait for Daniel to say, Amen. He's already acting to answer Daniel's prayer. Gabriel comes to tell Daniel what's about to happen. And it's clear that God is working to restore his people and that the timing of all of this is in God's hands. And God does answer Daniel's prayer. Within a year, Cyrus issues a decree to start sending God's people back to the land so they can rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And ultimately, 
God's Gabriel's word to Daniel points beyond this. It points to an even greater restoration in the future, a greater restoration that will come through an anointed king who is cut off for the sake of his people. King Jesus, the one who will bring about the ultimate restoration of his people through his death and resurrection, the one through whom not only Israelites can find forgiveness, but through whom all peoples who trust in him can find forgiveness and mercy even people from Toowoomba 2,500 years after Daniel. Through Gabriel, God shows Daniel that his mercy is something Daniel can rest in because Daniel is greatly loved. And as those who are greatly loved by God in Jesus, we too can rest in God's mercy. When we come to God and confess our sins, we don't have to be doubtful and afraid. We don't have to wonder whether we've done it right, whether God will really forgive us. We can confess and then rest in God's mercy. In 1 John 1.9 he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a great promise, a wonderful comfort, but there's a warning in these verses too. Just look in the next verse. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. See, confessing our sin is not optional. If we deny that we have any sin, if we refuse to confess because we think we don't need to, we are making God out to be a liar. And we are showing that we haven't really understood the gospel at all. But if we confess our sin, if we come to him for mercy and grace, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we're following Jesus, then this is more than just a once-off. If the whole Christian life is a life of repentance, then confession should be part of our regular prayer. We see that in the Lord's Prayer too. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So I've got not one, but two prayer tips for you this week. First... I want to encourage you to make a regular habit of confessing your sins to God. Make it part of your regular prayer. That's why I think ACTS, A-C-T-S, can help. Maybe it's something to do when you lie down to go to sleep. Think back over the day and take each thing you've done wrong to God in confession. When we do that, let's remember what we saw from Daniel about true confession. It includes grieving sin, honestly naming our sin, not sugarcoating it, and accepting the consequences of our sin. We do that in church too every week. We pray to confess our sins together to God. Make the most of that time. Use it to confess your sins too. Make a regular habit of confessing your sins to God. But second, whenever you do, remember, rejoice and thank God for the sure and free forgiveness that you have in Jesus. Like Daniel, remember God's character, his promises, his great mercy. Daniel, he looked, he pled for forgiveness and he looked forward to God's restoration. For us, forgiveness has already been accomplished in Jesus' death and resurrection. So we don't have to be unsure. We aren't left in doubt. We can thank God for the forgiveness we already have in Jesus. 
This is part of remembering and preaching the gospel to ourselves, thanking God for the forgiveness we have in Jesus. It's also why whenever we confess our sins together in church, we also include a thanks to God for the forgiveness he has given us in Jesus. Maybe memorising 1 John 1, 9 and including it when you pray could help you with this. In Jesus, we not only confess our sins, we also thank God for the forgiveness that he has given us. If you're here this morning and you're someone who's never trusted in Jesus, you've never confessed your sins to God and known his full and free forgiveness, and come and talk to me later. I'd love to encourage you and talk with you about it. And maybe just one more thing to mention, and that is, it is something that we can do to confess our sins to one another and pray for each other. We have one mediator between God and men. We don't need to confess to men in order to be forgiven and saved. But we can, and it is good for us to confess to each other. But when we do that, remember this second prayer tip. If someone tells you about their sin, remind them of the forgiveness that they have in Jesus. Use that as an opportunity to speak to them and remind them about the gospel. Because you might need that too sometimes. Confession, it's not meant to be a burden. In fact, confession is meant to be something wonderful and freeing. Freeing because we can stop carrying burdens which are beyond us and enjoy the full and free forgiveness of our merciful God. Daniel's prayer shows us that because our God is merciful and faithful, we should confess our sins to him freely and confidently. This is not a burden. It's a wonderful gift from our Heavenly Father. And I hope that you enjoy that gift this week. I'm going to pray for us now. And as a part of that prayer, I'm going to pause for a moment and give you a moment to confess your sin to God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning not because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. We come to you as people who have sinned against you, who have rebelled against your commands, who have ignored your words, who have acted treacherously and betrayed you. We've sinned against you in our thoughts and in our words and our deeds. We've sinned against you in the things that we've done and the things that we've left undone. Father, we confess our sins to you now. Father, we ask that you would forgive us. That you would show mercy to us. Not because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. And we thank you for your promise that if we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Please help us this week to rejoice in the forgiveness you give us in Jesus. Father, this week, convict us of our sin. May we come to you in confession. May we rejoice in the forgiveness you have given us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.